Palm Sunday is, is such a strange day uh, with that whole collision of, uh, of emotions and, and festivities that the reporters are quite right, are, are difficult to make sense of when you look in as an external observer. Uh, we celebrated it traditionally in the church with a prominent place for kids, and, and I love that about it. I was thinking this week about our journey with kids and about a previous church that I served at, because you're not allowed to tell these kind of illustrations about the church you're currently serving at. But uh, we had in our Sunday school, every Sunday school has one of these. We had a kid, his, his name was Joe in the third grade. Joe was never brought to Sunday school. I think that Joe's parents sent him to Sunday school, and the reason they sent him is so they could have an hour and a half without Joe on Sunday morning. He, he was a handful. He required a teacher and a teacher's assistant, and he just had this unbridled enthusiasm and this continuing tendency to blurt out the, the most, I don't know, cavalier of comments. So on Palm Sunday, uh, the teacher was asking them about the day. What did they know about the day? And the kids knew a little bit about it. They knew it had something to do with palm branches, and they knew the Hosanna song, and they knew that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem on that day. But when she went on and asked the class why, why was he coming? It was Joe, always quick to answer, who blurted out, I think he came to set up the Red Cross and stuff like that. And the teacher came back and recorded the conversation, and we thought, you know what? Maybe that's not too far off. Uh, I mean, Palm Sunday is a puzzling day, not just for Joe, but for anyone who reads the story very closely as it's recorded in the gospel. I mean, not only are the, there are all these contrasting emotions, Jesus weeping out at the outskirts of the city, just in anguish over the state of, of, God's, of God's chosen place of, of Jerusalem. And while he's weeping, these crowds beginning to mobilize and the, the groundswell of enthusiasm and the shout of Hosanna as he made his way in. Uh, the ambiguity of the crowds. Uh, and not because the crowds are fickle, but because there was more than one of them. From what we can tell, there were at least three, three groups or three, three crowds that were around Jesus that day. There, there was the emotional crowd. Those are the ones who were taking off their cloaks and spreading palm branches and, and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And most of the people in that crowd, they probably were from Galilee. They came with Jesus. And scripture tells us that they were enamored with him. It goes on to say particularly that they were enamored with him because of the miracles that they saw him perform. And, and so they probably had every expectation that now he was coming to Jerusalem, to the center of power in that region of the world. And he was going to come with his miracle working capacity. And he was going to topple the government and bring them the state and the city of their dreams. So that was one crowd. There was a second crowd. There were these curious bystanders who, who just sort of wondered what all the fuss was about. Who is this, they asked. Who is this? What's, what's going on? The reporters question. And then there's the third crowd that are there. In the third crowd are the critics of Jesus, who are always there on the sidelines. Wherever Jesus is in public, they're never too far away. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the authorities, they were afraid that Jesus' popularity meant that he was going to challenge the religious establishment. 
And so we watch as these three conflicting emotions, as, as these three crowds begin to swirl around Jesus. And then we ask the question, what is really happening here? Because this can't just be about a few palm branches and a humble man coming in on the back of a donkey. What's really going on? And I give you the answer. Here it is. Palm Sunday is the first day that Jesus goes public with his identity as the Son of God. Early on in the Gospels, check me on this, read through the Gospels and see the number of times where Jesus seems to hide his identity. Somebody comes to that moment of awareness, this is the one, this is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? Don't say anything yet. Keep it secret for now. Scholars have called it the messianic secret. Don't say anything yet, because I don't want word to get out, and I don't want word to be misunderstood. They don't understand what Messiah means. Keep it secret. But now for the first time, his identity would be publicly proclaimed. You know what that makes Palm Sunday? It makes it a day of decision. It's a day of decision about the lordship of Jesus, about his claim to be Christ, to be son of God, to be Messiah. And from this point on, there would be no mistake about what his coming to Jerusalem meant, about what the cross eventually would mean. He wasn't going to be crucified as the tragic end to a misunderstood life. There would be no confusion about his claims. Men and women would either follow him as the one sent from God, or they would fade away into the confusion of the marketplace. That's Palm Sunday. They would either deny him as the Christ, or they would accept him as the Lord of their lives. Someone once said that, that that's the decision that lies before us each new day, that you accept him as Lord or you deny him as the one he claimed to be. The, the fact that, that Christianity pushes us to a place of decision is one of the most controversial things about it. It, it makes people uncomfortable. Why, why all this pressure to decide? Great leaders and they share this in common, great leaders always have a way of defining the decisive issues of the time and then forcing a decision. Jesus is a great leader. He's able to identify the timeless issues that face humanity, and then he forces a decision. Palm Sunday is a day of decision. The Bible is a book of decisions. Choose this day for yourselves whom you will serve, it says in Joshua. But as for me and my house, you know these words, we will serve the Lord. Jesus put it this way, simply, follow me. Follow me. That invited a decision. Matthew left his tax tables. Peter and James and John, they left their fishing boats. But lots of other people didn't. A rich young ruler, his story is told in the Gospels. He couldn't make the decision. He was too attached to the livelihood, the lifestyle, and the things that he had. He was curious about Jesus, but he knew that a commitment to follow him would be a life-changing event, and it was a life change that he wasn't ready for, and so he wasn't able to decide. That's the way it is. That's the way it's always been with the decision to accept Jesus. Someone once has said that Christ is either Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. Christ is either Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. 
strength of Christianity, or at least one of its great strengths, is something that, that theologians have called the scandal of particularity. Scandal of particularity. What it means is that Christian faith goes beyond just believing in general concepts. It calls us to live out faith in the particular details of our lives. It's why the New Testament is filled with challenges like well, like this one, 1 Corinthians 13. You know how that begins. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm just a noisemaker, clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. It matters how that faith is lived out. James calls us to apply it to the particulars of our lives. He says faith without works is what? Dead. It's not enough to believe in God in general as something out there, as a nice warm concept. We're invited, we're asked to invite the Lord in here, into the most intimate details and daily decisions of our lives, into our homes, into our marriages, into our work, and into our play. It's one thing to be given general or to believe in general that, that God forgives. He's a merciful God. It's another thing to get down on your knees and say, God, I need you to help me with that one particular nasty thing that keeps tripping me up in my life. And I'm going to be honest with you about it. It means nothing to believe that God can be trusted if we're not able to trust him with the most difficult situations in our lives. That's the scandal of particularity. It has to make its way from the general to the personal. And that always involves a decision. One of the, the giants, thinkers, intellects, public intellects of, of the last century was a, a man named Frank Gabelin. Uh, he was educated Harvard, Oxford, incredible intellectual pedigree. Uh, he was well-known. He's the founder of a prestigious school in upstate New York. He wrote, boy, numerous Bible commentaries. Pastor Dave, you probably had a few dozen of them. I had a couple dozen of them. He, he, uh, he was the director and the editor of Christianity Today for over a decade. At one point in his career, later in his career, uh, he was invited to cover the civil rights marches that were going on in Alabama. So in the 1960s, he traveled there. And he says, when he was standing on the sidewalk, with all the emotions swirling around him, he tried his very best to maintain a kind of journalistic integrity. He wanted to watch as the marchers walked by and just record as a, as a bystander what was happening. The marchers with their signs demanding justice and equality under the Constitution. At the same time, he heard the voices of hatred cursing at them and hurling obscenities and all kinds of insults. Later, he, he described the moral crisis that he says engulfed him as he saw people spitting on the marchers and even assaulting them as the police watched on and did nothing. He said, surrounded by such hatred and seeing the marchers continue courageously and nonviolently, he knew that his faith demanded a decision, and so he stepped off the curb and he joined the march. Christ is to be Lord of our lives. There's a moment that you need to make a decision. 
In fact, that one central moment is probably followed by dozens of moments where you decide that you need to step off the curb to act on your beliefs, to put, to put feet under your faith. At school, it might, it might mean speaking up and speaking truth when you know it's not popular. At work, it might mean doing what's fair and what's just rather than just towing the party line. In business, it might mean being guided by something more than just profit when people's lives are at stake. In church, it might mean standing up and saying that God has something more for us than just this, that God dreams big dreams for the church. And so we're not going to be content with the status quo, and I'm not going to stay silent anymore, and I'm going to blurt it out. God has something for us, and, and we need to move. Maybe it's time for the church to step off the curb a little bit. Hmm. We talk about making a decision for Christ. Normally we mean that first, that all-important, that, that I'm-all-in decision. We give our lives to him. And there are some of you this morning that made that decision. And there are some who are here every Sunday, whether for the first time or after countless times, who have yet to make it. Some of you have, some of you won't, but some of you will. In a few moments, we're going to invite those who have not to do that. This is a day of decision. In our 11 o'clock service, we have the privilege of celebrating with some who did, and wanted to stand publicly in front of everybody and say, I did it. Time to be baptized. It's a day of decision. And if you've never stepped off the curb, never done it in Jesus' name, we're going to invite you to do that. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you've stepped off the curb and you've never been baptized, we're going to invite you to do that as well. It's kind of a public way of expressing with your body the decision that you've made in your soul. It's a visible thing that points to a spiritual reality for you. And there's this rich symbolism in it. Romans 6 says that we were buried with Christ in baptism unto his death. Why? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead into the glory of the Father, we too might be raised to new life. And i got to tell you that the, the joy of getting right with God, of, of maybe having gone down another road too long and then turning around and saying, God, I, I want to know you. I, I want to be forgiven. I want grace. I want to declare myself as being yours. I want my life to matter. Boy, there's nothing like it. Some of you have been attending church for months or years. Maybe you say, I believe in God, but you've never allowed the Spirit of God to move in your life to push you to that moment where you say, all right, no more messing around. No more sitting on the curb. Today I'm declaring myself. I'm all in. And you make your declaration. And then if you've never been baptized, maybe you're feeling God kind of pulling at you, tugging at you, saying, you know what? I want you to let the whole world know. That's what baptism is. People sometimes they'll say, well, do you have to be baptized in order to be saved? No, there's nothing magic about baptism. But let me ask you this. Why would you want to begin, if you were a follower of Jesus, why would you want to begin your life as a disciple of the Lord and Savior of your life by refusing to do one of the things that he asked you to do? So in a little while, we're going to welcome this group of women to the baptistry. All women this time. It was all men last time. It's all women this time. 
Who knows? God works the way that he works. And we're going to put them down, and then we're going to bring them up again, and people will watch, and they'll clap, and and maybe, just maybe, there'll be something more going on as the Spirit moves in the lives of the congregation and tugs at them. And Boy, if that's you now, or if that'll be you when you come back to watch the baptisms, because you're invited back, come about 11.30 or so, right, Edmund? Is that? Yeah, 11.30. Come and... And allow him to do what God always does. Just place that moment of decision in your life. Will it be Hosanna? Will it be crucify him? Or even worse, will it just be indifference? Silence. Let's just let it go and and go on with life the way it was. Maybe that's the point of Palm Sunday. Not just to remind us that people and crowds can be fickle, uh, that crowds can be divided, that people can be joyful or they can be cruel, but it reminds us that we too, we have to step off the curb. We have to make a choice. The real tragedy of Palm Sunday, I think, is not that that some people in the crowd who welcomed Jesus maybe later rose up against him. The real tragedy is that so many of them drifted away without ever making a choice at all. Crowds drift, the moment passes, the opportunity's lost. God sends a moment of decision into our lives. Don't miss it. You step off the curb into the swell of those who are are marching their way towards glory. I'm going to invite you to do that with me now. Just where you are, if if you'd like to close close your eyes. A moment now between you and your God. We believe, don't we, that God still breaks through? still pierces through our defenses, still cuts to the heart. And if you've never done it before, let me invite you to tell him now. Say, God, I repent of my sins. Would you forgive me? God, I want to stop leading my own life now. I want to submit. I want to bend the knee. I want Jesus to be my friend and my guide and my mentor. You begin a life today that will stretch out into all eternity. You can pray that right now. And if God is tugging at you to be baptized, saying, I want you to have the courage to declare yourself publicly, then you tell him right now, you mean more to me than anything else. Heavenly Father, your spirit is at work here this morning. Would you cut us to the heart? Then would you heal us? Would you help us become people that die to the past, that die right now, and then then bring us back to life, to real life? Before we say amen. This is a day of decision. And if God has moved in your life, and if you've spoken to him now, don't be quiet about it.
Speak to one of the pastors after the service. Speak to one of the elders. Come join us here at the front by the piano for prayer and for support. Don't, don't just drift. Don't just walk away. Together we all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.